All right, as we continue our Set Free series, we're going to talk this week, obviously, about Set Free from Poverty. Now, poverty is one of those fun ones. You know, people can handle sin, and I find they're mostly okay when it comes to things like sickness, but the struggle often comes when it comes to the money. And when you talk about money in church, I feel like we've split over there and over here, and then there's me and Chesley. <laughs> That's all right. We could do this. But when you talk about money in church, everyone thinks you've got an agenda. You know, they're all going, the only reason the church talks about money is because it wants some. And I know, I know preachers who actually won't talk about money in their pulpit. They'll bring in a visiting speaker to talk about the money <laughs> to get around it. That's never been our style, so, you know, we just don't do that. But the reality is that money is a massive part of your life. I think someone worked out it represents about 95 to 98% of your being. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what, I don't know if I'd put it that high, but it's got to be in the 90s somewhere. Because it represents your time. Think about it, you know. The working week is 38 hours, what's well, supposed to be. I think we all seem to do a bit more than that. But you know, if you take 40 hours of your week, that's 40 hours of the best part of your day, if you think about it. You know, at night you sleep. During the day when you're awake and you're alert and you're at your best, where are you? You're at work. You just realize that? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> so it represents your time, it represents your effort, it represents you know, your abilities and your gifts and, and what you can do. It represents, according to society, what you put into society. Your worth is determined by a dollar value. So it represents a massive part of who you are. And so we should talk about money in church, yeah? You know what? Jesus talked more about money than he talked about love. Did you know that? It's a bit shocking, isn't it? How can he do that? But he did because he realized that one of the biggest hangouts people have is money. I remember working for a bank, and it was never about how much somebody had. It was always about their attitude. We used to have, when I first started, I think I've told some of you this, but when I first started, my manager said to me, he said, I want you to know that there are two things that are the most important in people's lives. It's their money and their life, and it comes in that order. And I thought he was joking, but it's serious. People get very serious about their money. Or their lack of money. And it was never, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people with millions of dollars in their bank account. And, you know, they're arguing over a 25 cent fee. I thought, the time it took you to stand here and argue. And I've seen people with next to nothing arguing in the same. It's never about how much you have. It's about how much of it has you. And the key to a successful Christian life, to being set free, because poverty is not about how much you have. 
You've got to understand that. It's really about how much money has you. You can have millions of dollars in the bank account and still be poor. There's a lady who used to go around Kargoolie with a trolley and she used to collect rubbish bags and put them inside her trolley. And she wore second-hand clothing and was, in terms of society, would determine her as dysfunctional. And yet she was an extremely wealthy woman. Extremely wealthy. See, it's not about what you've got. It's about how you think of it. Money is, is not good. Or, money is nothing. Money is actually, one guy described this week as money is seed. You know, if, if you get some money, let me find my wallet somewhere here. Is there any money in it or have I been cleaned out? No, no, look, there's money in there. All right, if I take this $20 note. Now, if I were to get a whole lot of $20 notes and put them all over my body, you know, lick them and stick them. And then I walked outside, stood on the hill here in Hemi Hill in one of those wonderful Fremantle doctor days where it's blowing on in. How would I look after about two minutes? A little naked. Yeah? Because money can't clothe you. It's seed. You give it as seed to a person who gives you clothes. You can't eat the stuff. I've seen people try when they first bought out the plastic notes, I was working for a bank at the time and, you know, they said the note was indestructible. So that became a challenge to every Australian because we had this tall poppy thing. If someone says something can't be done, we're going to prove them wrong, right? And so I saw people try and eat money. It's not nutritious. It's not full of vitamins and minerals. It's not good for you if you consume it. But it's great for a seed. If you plant it into a grocer's and they give you food. You see, it's just a bit of plastic. That's all it is. It actually has no value. While it sits in my wallet, it has absolutely no value. While it's here in my hand, it has absolutely no value. It only has value when I put it to use. Does that make sense? Other than that, it's just plastic. And this is why the Bible is very clear. It says that it does not say that money is the root of all evil. How does a bit of plastic become evil? It can't be. It's just plastic. It actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. So the love of plastic. The love of money is the root of all evil. You need to really understand that, that money is not good or evil. It's how you appreciate it. But then that's with anything. You know, my car is not good or evil. But if I love my car, or if I use my car in an evil way, it simply becomes a tool for my motivation. My house is the same. You know, I can use a steak knife to cut up a piece of steak, or I can use it to stab somebody. Is it the steak knife's fault? No, it's just a knife. It's not good or evil. Does that make sense? All right? 
So we need to understand that money is really a seed. It's a tool for us to use. And when you get that perspective, you break poverty over your life. Because you start to see things as God sees it. And it's not about how much you have or how much you don't have. It's about your attitude towards God and the things that you have. Does that make sense? All right? So I grew up in a very, very conservative church environment where poverty was, was spiritual. If you were, the more poor you were, the more spiritual you were. But then you needed stuff, and so people didn't think you were spiritual anymore because you were just needy. This, this vicious cycle of you can't win. All right? But if you had money, like I, I know a, a guy who was, um, actually lived in Hemi Hill. Well, near Hemi Hill. And, and um, he was an accountant and fairly wealthy and had a nice house. And he bought himself and his wife a Mercedes. But he went and bought the same colour and type of car so people wouldn't realise he had two. Because they would be upset with him. Because that wasn't spiritual. Get that. See, that's, that's, that's not freedom in Christ, is it? That's being bound up and controlled. You know, and we're really good at judging other people's spirituality by what we see on the outside. You know, oh, well, you know, they must be, you know, if they've got money, they can't be humble. No, no, humility has nothing to do with money. You read the verses on humility, you know what they talk about? Submission to God. You want true humility? It's actually about submission to God. Poverty is actually not a sign of humility. In fact, the Bible talks about poverty being a sign of curse. Let, let me give you some, some verses. This is what the Bible says about poverty, all right? So taking out all the church mindset and all the... This is one of the areas you get the biggest religious mindsets in, all right? Because people don't want to... I find that, you know, when it comes to healing, you can say, look, you know, get the Word of God put inside you and, and start to speak it over your life and, and, you know, healing comes. And people do that. But when you do it about money, and people feel guilty about it because they think, oh, I shouldn't be doing that because I'm pursuing money. No, you're not. You're pursuing everything God has for you. And money has a purpose in your life, has a purpose in the church, and has a purpose in what we are called to do. You cannot do what God has called you to do without money. All right? It cost us $40,000 up front just to get this church started. That's money. All right? Someone's got to pay that bill, right? You know, I mean, it's a $5,000 sound desk up the back. People go, you spent $5,000 on the sound desk? That's a cheap sound desk. I know a church right now that's looking at a sound desk and they're looking at $32,000. It's it's just what it costs to do what we do. You know, we have to pay for rent of auditoriums, you know, projectors, all the stuff that we look at and we go, someone's paid for it somewhere. Money is designed for us to do what we're here to do. It's actually an evangelism tool. 
Let me, let me walk through this before I get ahead of myself. How long have I got? Okay. Let me give you some verses. This is what God's Word says about it. First of all, it says it's a curse for disobedience. Deuteronomy 28, the first part has a whole lot of blessings. The second part has all the curses. And one of them is, because you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. In other words, because you didn't put God first, for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. Does that sound like poverty to me? Sounds like it to me. Does it sound like it to you? That's poverty. All right, if you're hungry and you're thirsty, you got no clothes and you need everything, that's poverty. Yeah? It's listed under the curses. In other words, not good. All right? It also says in Deuteronomy, if there's any among you a poor man of your brethren, Within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willing lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Now, if poverty was spiritual, why are we told to help even back from Deuteronomy? Why are we told to help somebody out of poverty? When we talked about healing, you know, people say, oh, being sick is spiritual. And therefore going to the doctor would be unspiritual, would be the logical conclusion, right? We go, that's stupid. But that's, this is the ridiculous thing we have about this. We say that, you know, oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, you should be poor because that makes you more spiritual, so you rely more on God. Well, it doesn't work like that. Poverty is not spiritual. Relying on God is. But we're told to help the poor. Well, that would be working against their spirituality, wouldn't it? You see how the thinking has to be consistent? God is consistent. All right. What else does it say? James, New Testament. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. In other words, oh, you're spiritual now. You don't have any clothes. You don't have any food. You've got nowhere to stay. That makes you spiritual. He says, wrong. You've got to help them with their physical needs. Otherwise, what good is it? You want to do good, you help people out of poverty. Make sense? And Paul says they desired, he's talking about, you know, they had a meeting of the council and they talked about Paul was saying, and they said, yeah, what you're doing is good. Remember one thing, though, whatever you do, they desired that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Paul remembered the poor. Now, understand, Paul, Paul traveled the world several times. It's no different in Paul's time to what it is now. That takes a serious amount of money. Paul must have been fairly wealthy to travel the world several times and do what he did. And he paid his own way. He says that one time in some churches, he says, look, I had the right to take money from you as a spiritual father. But he says, I did not exercise that. I paid my own way. That takes money. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kin is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. In other words, if you've got someone in your family that's going through a hard time, they're going to sell their house. Back in Israel times, you would actually go as their brother, their sister, and you would actually buy the property back for them to help them out of their poverty. 
First Timothy says, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty condemning, isn't it? Don't take care of your own. In other words, don't look after your family. I'm um, sorry, kids, we're too poor to eat today. Oh, no, no, we, we can't have a house that that's, involves money and we're too poor for that. Oh, no, 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 we, we can't have a car. We have to walk everywhere, which means I can't get a job because that would mean I have money, so therefore, you know, I can't do that. So we're just going to sit around and do nothing. You're worse than an unbeliever. Two Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, this is the one verse that people really give me and go, I don't know. See, Jesus became poor, and we want to be like Jesus. And it's talking about what Jesus became poor so that we could be spiritually rich. Well, if it meant spiritually rich, it would have said spiritually rich. The second thing is this whole passage is actually talking about money. And thirdly, for us to be spiritually rich would mean Jesus had to become spiritually poor, and that's blasphemy. Because Jesus was never, ever spiritually poor. Even when he was on the cross, covered in our sin, our sickness, our poverty, and everything else, he was still not spiritually poor. Because he was on his way into hell where he was kicking the devil's butt for three days. You've got to be consistent when you interpret Scripture. And it says that Jesus became poor. Well, how did he become poor? Well, he was in heaven where they used gold as paving bricks. You know, the story told of a, a guy that wanted to go to heaven. He begged God, said, God, I just want to take one thing into heaven. I want to take one thing into heaven. I know we can't take anything in. I want to take one thing. And God said, okay, you can bring one thing. And so he rocks up to the, the pearly gates, and he's got this gold bar in his hand. And the angel looks at him and says, what are you doing? And he says, God said, I could bring one thing. And he said, why did you bring a paving brick? Because the greatest wealth on earth does not compare to the, it's just poverty to the riches of heaven. And when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he became poor compared to what he had there. But he wasn't poor while he was on earth. He was rich enough to pay for 12 guys to travel with him. Not only that, they had to have a treasurer to take care of all the money. And when Judas went to betray him, the disciples assumed he was going to give money to the poor. And when Jesus died on the cross, they took his coat and they went, hey, this coat is like one of the best coats around. We don't want to rip this. And so they gambled for it. That says to me, Jesus had money. He was not poor. Does that make sense? But it says he went to the cross and gave up all that riches. So on the cross, he had no physical wealth. He became poor so that we could become rich. Does this make sense? Is it messing with your head yet? All right. Let me ask you, why does God want you out of poverty and into wealth? Now, before I address that, I want to address, I know I'll do it later on, that's okay. Let, let me give you some reasons. Let me step you through this really quickly, all right? Because it's actually really simple. And then I'll tell you how to do it. 
He wants you out of poverty and have wealth to care for your family. And it's not just your physical family, it's also your spiritual family. You know, I've had the privilege of giving away three cars so far in my lifetime. It's a really cool thing to do. To rock up to somebody and go, here's the keys, it's yours. Because you change somebody's life and you help them to prosper. And you show them God's love. It's to take care of your immediate family. You know, God says, go to work to provide for you so you can eat. If you can't feed your family, you know, one of the biggest reasons that people get divorced is over money. It's one of the biggest influences. Why? Because when there's no money, there's a lot of pressure. And when there's no relief from that pressure, cracks start to open up. And we're told to look after our family. We saw that a couple of verses ago. Secondly, to pay for the work of the ministry, to pay for what we do as a church, to pay for what we do overseas. We're going to show you a video in a couple of weeks of an organization that we support as a church. See, we as a church, we tithe. We take 10% of what comes in and we give that out. And we give that into an organization at the moment called Christ for All Nations who works throughout Africa. And when they have a crusade, man, they have a crusade. Like over a week, a million people will come forward and fill out a decision card to say they want to know Jesus. Amazing miracles and, and healings. And I mean, there's healings of people who are, who are walking by. There's one of this video we saw of this guy who was, he was a Muslim guy sitting in a bus stop. And he fell asleep there and he woke up and the crusade started and they're starting preaching and the guy gets, he's blind, he gets saved and healed. Oh, he's deaf, was he? He was deaf. And he gets healed while he's sitting on this bus stop. And the first thing he hears is the gospel. And he comes over and, and testifies of what's going on. He had no idea what was going on, but gets healed by the power of God. Pretty cool, yeah? It costs them $1 million on average for every crusade they do. $1 million. Because of the equipment it takes when you've got a crowd of 400,000 people standing in a field who have never heard the gospel. It takes money. We're a part of that. That's what we give into as a church. It takes money to do ministry, to help the poor. We're told to help the poor. We've read that several times. Why do we help the poor? So they don't have to be poor. In fact, Jesus said, this is my ministry. He said, Luke, Luke chapter 4, 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What is good news to somebody who's poor? Is it... Oh, it's okay. God loves you. You're okay. Is that good news, someone who's poor? Yeah, if I kicked you in the shins and then broke your leg and then gave you a hug and said, it's okay, God loves you, is that going to help you? No. You won't probably revenge against me for breaking your leg, but 
You want some assistance to get your leg healed. It's the same when someone's poor. What do they want? They want to know they don't have to be poor anymore. And that's part of the message of Jesus, is you don't have to be poor. There's a way you can be out of poverty. And you're a part of that solution. You know, if you had breakfast this morning, you're doing better than about 98% of the world. Do you know that? So you're wealthy. See, it's not about how much you give. I can... I remember when I, you know, when I was first started to work and I used to work for this electrician who lived next door to me when I was at school. And I used to make 20 bucks on a Saturday morning. You know, $5 an hour. Sounds like slave labor, doesn't it? But I come home with my 20 bucks after four hours and, and I sort of look and I think, gee, my tithe is a whole $2. And I think, does that really make a difference in the church? Does that really do anything? But you know what? I discovered something about that $2. The $2 pays for the battery that goes in the microphone so you can hear what it says. See, it's not about how much you give. And when you give to the poor, when you give to the work of the ministry, it's not about how much, it's about are you willing and obedient. God wants you blessed and out of poverty, so he can get you to do whatever he wants you to do anytime. If you are burdened down with debt, if you can't afford to, to do anything, you know, all I've got is I'm getting by, I just can't, I can't afford a car, I can't afford to get around, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, then you can't do what God wants you to do anytime. He may say to you, I want you to go and ring that person up and, you know, just, just go and chat with them, have a good call. I can't afford to because I can't afford the credit for my phone. I want you to go over and visit that person. I can't afford to because I can't afford the petrol in my car. You can't do what God is asking you to do. It may be, hey, go and make a meal for that person. I can't afford to because I can't afford to go and buy the food. All right? It's not about the money. It's about doing what God has called and asked you to do. Does that make sense? All right. Number five is because he loves you. God wants you out of poverty because he loves you and he cares about you. And poverty is not spiritual. Poverty is destructive. Because with poverty often comes things like sickness. And when you're poor and you're broke and you're sick, life is not much fun. It's not very abundant. And you don't change anybody's life. You don't make a difference. You see, God said to Abraham way back at the very start, right back in Genesis, he says, I want to bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to others. He said, you'll reap off that blessing, but I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to those around you. This is what the Israelites are supposed to do. They were supposed to come in and the blessing of God and share that blessing with the nations around them and change them. And that's why God wants to bless you. Nothing's changed. He wants to bless you so that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. I have a goal in my life to pay off somebody's mortgage. 
I want to get to that point where I can walk up to somebody who's absolutely struggling and can't afford to pay for their home and to walk up and say, how much is your mortgage? And to write out a check and go, God loves you. And when they go, why? Just because God loves you. It's cool when you meet people's needs. Get excited about that. It's all right. All right. So how do you prosper? Because God actually has a plan. You know, the world system says, if you want to prosper, then take as much as you can and hold on to it. And when you start to live like that, money starts to hold you rather than you holding money. Remember, money is not good. It's not evil. It's just bits of plastic. It's just seed in your hand. And you know what I've discovered? When you take seed, you know, like at home, I watch my wife. She collects all these seeds. And she says, I'm going to plant that the next season. And what they do is they go into my shed which is not really my shed. I just call it that because I think it's mine. It's actually full of my daughter and son-in-law's stuff and my wife's stuff. And somewhere in the corner, there's a couple of tools that I've managed to sort of squirrel away. You know, we'll talk about seeds. One day my wife decided all these everlastings. I'm going to get all those and we're going to dry them out and get the seeds out of them and plant them next year. And I walked into my shed and I had this beam hanging across the middle of it and hanging from it was all these everlastings, which, you know, they hadn't thought about when they put them in there, my lovely daughter and wife, and they just shed seed. Oh, the whole place was just white, like it snowed inside. You know, just what you want when you when you chainsaw there with you know the nice blade and the oil on it and all these bits of everlasting flowers stuck to it. <laughs> I closed the door and said, "That's for yours to fix." You know, but you take that seed, you know, and and she'll get the seeds. My wife occasionally and go, "Oh, that's for the next season," and she'll put these seeds into the shed, and then sometimes they get forgotten about. And you know what happens to see when it sits there and it's forgotten about? It wastes away. It becomes useless. It actually has no power, no effect while it's sitting in my shed. It doesn't grow anything. It doesn't make a difference. It just sits there. Money's the same. When it just sits in your pocket or it sits in your bank account, it actually really has no value. It has a perceived value, but it has no value. It's only when you take it and you use it for something that it has value. It's a seed. And so a part of prospering is understanding and changing how you think. Because the world says, hoard your seed. I want to know why. Because it has no value. If you had $5 million in your bank account and you said, oh, I'm never going to touch it, then it has no value. Because it's not making any difference in your life. It's only when you take it and you use it that it has value. Does that make sense? All right. So, how do we prosper? First of all, you've got to change how you think about money. 
If you get to this point and you're going, well, you know, I've got this far and things are okay or maybe they're not okay, but, you know, I wouldn't really say I was prospering, then it comes back to how you think. How you think about money, and this is a part of a massive thing that we could talk about for hours and we just don't have the practicalities to do that. But there's things like, you know, the Bible actually says to stay out of debt. He actually says, Paul says, owe no man anything except the debt of love. And that's really challenging because we have this thinking that says, well, we buy a house by debt, we buy a car by debt, we buy everything by debt. But God doesn't say that. He says, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches, he says, in glory. He says, if you need something, come and ask me. People say to me, but yeah, well, you're asking God for six months for a house and it hasn't come yet. Let me put this in context. How long would it take you to pay off the average mortgage? It's about 30 years. Do you know how much it would cost you if you pay the average mortgage? Almost twice the value of what you originally paid your house for. That's how much the interest is. So six months, a year, two years waiting is not very long really, is it? It's perspective. You know, the average credit card, if you were to pay it out now at a minimum payment, would take you about 22 years. And by the time you've bought the item and had the interest come back, it's cost you anything up to seven times as much for that item. So if you bought a TV for $1,000, that would be a $7,000 TV. That's what you're saying it's worth. So you've got to change how we think. And we've got to get into God's way of thinking where he says, wait for it. Where he says, do it according to my word. Start to think like I think by reading what God says about money. It'll change you out of a poverty debt cycle into a prosperity abundance cycle. Deuteronomy 28 says one of the blessings is that you're the head, not the tail, that you're the lender, not the borrower. That's how we're meant to be. But it comes to changing how we do things, not according to the way that God, not according to the way the world does them, but according to the way God does them. And that's a journey. You change it through the Word of God, which builds faith and teaches you. Understand poverty is not humility. And secondly, the just enough argument. People say to me, well, I'm okay because I've got just enough. Just enough for what? Well, just enough to get by. You don't change somebody's life by being just enough. Humility is not just enough. You're actually called to prosper, to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. So my challenge is don't be a just enough person. Look at your life and go, how can I make a difference? How can I change other people's lives? Because you weren't made to be ordinary. Was that me?
Seek wisdom from God. The other argument I get with people is, if I had money, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And that's probably true. I think it's something like 85% of people who win lotto within 18 months are in the same or worse situation than they were before they won. 18 months. Why? Because they don't have the wisdom to know how to use their wealth. The Bible says little by little is great wealth gained. Why? Because when you gain little by little, you know how to use it little by little. James says, if you need wisdom, ask for it. If you're saying, God, I need to know how to prosper. I need to know how to be that sort of person that makes a difference in people's lives. I need to know how I can change other people. I need you to teach me how to use money. Give me your wisdom. Ask and he'll give it to you. He says that. Ask and you'll receive it. And then do what he says. Number three, obey. There's no point praying unless you're going to obey. The Bible's very clear about some of the things it says, first of all, to be a giver. It says to be a tither. What's a tither? A tither is when you give 10% into the church. Why? So the church can have some money, yes, so we can pay our bills and get by. But it's actually more about you saying, God is first in my life. Because like we said earlier, money represents 90-something plus percent of your life. I mean, we rock up to church, one, because we like hanging out together, two, because it encourages us and it's really great, but also because it's our time of saying we're giving this time to God. That's a form of tithing, that we're giving our time to God. Because I don't know about you, but time's precious. I value my time. And so we come and we tithe that. Money's the same. I value the money I have. It helps me to get through life. You know, we all have bills to pay, right? We like to eat, some more than others. That takes money. Tithing is about saying, God is first in my life. And it's taking that first 10% and saying, I'm giving it as an act of worship and obedience. The second part of giving is to give to the poor. You know, we support a couple of compassion kids. They're like World Vision kids. We give in to places that work with the poor. And we're also looking where we can meet a need. You may go, well, I don't have a lot to give. That's cool. Someone's making a meal can change somebody's life. Just giving a letter. Say, hey, how you doing? Giving a small gift. It's an attitude of life to go from the world says, you have an attitude that says get, get, get. It's having an attitude of how can I give? But let me also challenge you in that, that if you want to have the extraordinary of God happen in your life in this area, then you have to start to give in an extraordinary way. Luke 6, 38 says that as you give, it's given back to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, is poured into your lap. As you give. In other words, your attitude towards giving will determine how much you receive. That you can keep giving. 
Because God doesn't want to necessarily get money to you. He actually wants to get it through you. He wants to, yeah, he could, he could send angels down and they could do all the work that needs to be done. But that's not how he chose things to happen. He went, you know what? I love people. People are awesome. I want to use them to change the world. So he wants to use you. It doesn't matter what you do for a job or don't do for a job. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or how unintelligent you think you are. The basic thing is that God has wired you to prosper. He has wired you to make a difference. Now, the word prosper means everything going well with you. So it's every area of your life. He has wired you to make a difference on this earth. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. The challenge comes is with us believing it and actually stepping into it. You know, you're in your workplace not to make a whole lot of money, not to have a career. You're in your workplace to bring about the kingdom of God. You're there to change people's lives. That's your number one calling for where you are. You may go, well, I don't work anywhere. I'm at university. Same rule applies. I'm at school. Same rule applies. I'm just at home. When people come into orientation centers at work, we tell them off for saying the word just. They say, oh, I'm just this, I'm just that. There is no just. You are a person placed by God where you are to change the lives of people around you. If you're a mum or a dad who's at home, then you are there to change the lives of your children and your neighbors and your people at school and everybody else that you meet everywhere else. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he says, my plan is to prosper you not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But you've got to change how you think. You can't think, poor me, I'm just me. That's poverty thinking. You know who you are? You're a child of God. It says you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ before the Father. In other words, you're on the same level as Jesus when it comes before the Father. He says he's made you a royal priest In other words, you are like a priest within the church. Not just that, a royal priest. So you're a kingly or a queenly priest. He says he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you aren't in your plan and purpose, then you're in poverty. Because you're missing out on the goodness of God working through you. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is who you are right now before Jesus. Because he's taken all of where you've been. He's taken all the sin. He's taken all the rubbish. He's taken all the times that you've messed up and ruined life. And if you've given your life over to him, he's taken all that and he's washed it away. And what he says is, I give you new life in Christ. I make you a new creation. The old has passed away. And when something's passed away with God, it doesn't come back. It's passed away. Everything before this point, if you gave your life to Jesus right now, everything before this point is passed away as far as God's concerned. You are a new creation in Christ. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. And he says before the foundation of the world, before the world was even made, I knew you. 
and I had a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to say to you, you want to prosper in God, you want to break poverty over your life, then, you know, because poverty is not just about the money, it's about relationships, it's about every area of your life, it's about your health. You want to break those things over your life, then you step into what God has for you by choosing to do His will. And you say, I choose to be who you made me to be, God, to do what you have called me to do. That's why we say when Jesus, we accept Jesus into life, we take him as our Savior who washes away all the old stuff, but we also take him as our Lord. And it's referring back to the feudal system of having full authority over our life. And to become a Christian is to say, I choose to live my life as God wants me to live it. And what's really awesome is that he wants you to be the best you can be. So his plan is not for you to be some little surf wallowing around in the mud. His plan is for you is to reign with him. And you can only be all that God made you to be in relationship with him by making him Lord and surrendering yourself totally to him. That includes your money, that includes your time, that includes your job, that includes your family, that includes every relationship and every part of your life. But you've got to make the choice. Jesus said you've got to take up your cross daily. That means every time you wake up, you say, God, you're Lord of my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do today. That's dangerous talk, I'm telling you. Because he'll come and he'll take you at your word and he'll say, okay, we're going to do this today. You're going to go, I had other plans. He goes, no, no, no. This is what we're doing today. Because he has a plan to prosper you. He's going to say things to you like, hey, see that person over there? Go and give him a hundred bucks. You go, this is my last hundred bucks. He's like, okay, go and give him the hundred bucks. Because he knows that as you give, he's going to give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking, overflowing. He may say to you, when you go and pray for that person, pray for that person. I had enough praying for myself. No, no, I want you to go pray for that person. And you obey because you've made him Lord. And you sit down with that person. You say, how are you going? Can I pray for you? And they'll look at you wide-eyed and scared. But, you know, I've never had someone say no. I've never had someone say no. And when I finished praying, they've never gone, well, that was stupid. You know what they, they've always said, that meant a lot. Thank you. It's simple. It's just talking to God like you talk to everyone else. And I know pretty well a lot of you, and I know you can all talk. Some more than others. This is what it is to be a Christian. Understand money is just a tool. To do what God has called you to do. It's a chance to make a difference. That poverty is a mindset. And if you can change how you think into the way God sees you, you'll break off all the other poverty stuff and you'll step into all he has for you. You may, I mean, you know, people say to you, but I don't want to be rich. Well, fine, you know, if you go and make $100,000 a month, Keep whatever it takes for you to live, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and give the other $98,000 away. If that's what you want to do. But understand that it's a tool to change lives. 
Don't let it have you. Don't let money owe you. Be who God made you to be. It's not bad to have money. It's bad for money to have you. But if you have money, use it for his kingdom. The blessing flows your way as well. But be the blessing you are made to be. Use what God has given you, your talents, your abilities, your wealth, your health. Use what he's given to you to change a life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a wonderful God. Lord, that you've blessed us. I mean, you've put us in this amazing country. Lord, you've given us each other in, in relationship with each other as friends and family. Lord, I thank you that we have food to eat, that we have clothes to wear. Thank you for how you've blessed us. Father, I pray, give us wisdom to know how to use what you have given us. Give us insight to see what you are doing, that we can be a blessing to the people around us. Just while we've got our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe money is held on to you. Maybe there's other things in your life that are holding on to you and you're saying, you know, I need to, I need to just be right with God. I want to be in a position where I'm doing what he wants me to do. I'm being who he's made me to be. I want to be free from any of the guilt and the shame in my life. I want to be that new creation. Maybe you've made that decision and, and you sort of feel like you've gone back and you want to get back in that right place with God. Just while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I'm going to pray a prayer about that in a minute. Just say, I want to be in that prayer. Just by putting your hand up, you're saying, I want a new start in Jesus. Thank you. You can put it back down again now. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up saying, I just want that new start in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you feel like you're carrying guilt and shame. The weight of the world on your shoulders, whatever it is. Just saying, I want to flick that off. I want Jesus in my life afresh. Anyone else, just put your hand up saying, just include me in that prayer. All right, let's pray together. And if you put your hand up, just just reach out to God and say, God, I give my life afresh to you. Father, I pray for every person here. Lord, for those who particularly put their hands up and saying, I just want that fresh start in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as they put up their hand, the acknowledgement of just dedicating their life back to you and walking with you. Father, I pray bless them now with the freshness of your Holy Spirit. Just wash over them. Help them to see. Lord, help each one of us to see ourselves as you see us that you may be glorified through our lives. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.